listening to Grace and People, a podcast about the people of grace and peace. I am Nate Oinanen, and we have a new episode here with Jeff Brown interviewing Lloyd Wilson. Jeff Brown is from Lansing, Michigan, and he's been at Grace and Peace for three years now with his wife, Jen, and kids, Nathan and Hannah. And Jeff is interviewing Lloyd Wilson, who's a native Austinite. And he's a member of Grace and Peace, along with his wife, Claire, and his two boys, Teddy and Cooper. They live in Brentwood. Oh, they also have a dog named Fitz, who I've met. He's pretty crazy. Okay, so um, this episode was recorded on March 11th, 2021. Let's listen in. Hello, Austin. This is Jeff Brown. It is March 2021 A.D., and I am here with Lloyd Wilson. Hi, Lloyd. Welcome to the show. Hey, everybody. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Sure. The beginning is a good place to start. Please give us a tour of where you were born and how you came to be here in Austin. Yeah, absolutely. So I, uh, I guess I have kind of a traditional background in terms of an Austinite. My grandfather was in politics. And my other grandfather worked UT, which the only two industries that Austin had for a time. And so I, I grew up in West Austin and just loved being around them and had a really just kind of idyllic small town. It felt like at the time uh, background and, and went to Austin high out on the lake and, and still my still favorite thing today is to go jog around the lake and get to do some of the things I grew up enjoying. But, you know, for me, I felt like I wanted to, go and explore. So I went away to school at Washington and Lee in a small town on Western Virginia and up in the mountains and played football there and, and loved it. Spent some time in DC and in Baltimore, but ultimately wanted to come back to Texas and, and wanted to make Austin my home. And so I worked for a couple startups and just locked into healthcare and I've been in healthcare ever since. And once I, I found out healthcare was interesting and it was a good fit for me personally and professionally, I gravitated towards caring for the seniors and the elderly, uh, just because I, I love the stories. I love the history. I love, you know, just the, the company. I think um, there's something special for me about the time that I spent with my grandparents and, and the interactions I have with, folks who have seen so much and done so much. And um, so I've been doing that ever since and, and blessed to be able to call Austin home and love being a part of this community. That, that's great. I love, I loved asking questions of my grandparents and uh, we're going to talk a, a lot more about that aspect of your life later on, but uh, college athlete that, that kind of caught my attention there. I, I don't know how many college athletes we have or have around uh, that, Tell us a little more about that. Well, you know, I'm going to put a huge caveat. It says D3. So it's, you know, it's not, a, it's not the big time. Uh, we had fans show up and ask how much the tickets were. And uh, I think we paid them to stay. So it was uh, no big, no big deal, but it was so much fun. I loved it. I got to travel all over the U S playing and, um, it's, you know, when you play D3, it's, it's non-scholarship. So everybody's out there because they love the game. And um, I, I absolutely just ate up every minute of it and was a gym rat and everything else. And 
since then have slid way back in terms of my athletic prowess, but um, it, it was, it was really fun. And as much as anything, I just enjoyed my teammates and, and getting out there and, and being really active. Yeah, that's terrific. Um, that a little secret uh, people might not know about me is I also played one year of D three football in college. <laughs> also, no way. What'd you play? Also struggled to uh, have any fans attend the games. Um, I played receiver, but I didn't play very much. Where'd you go to undergrad? Uh, MIT in Boston. We did not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. We only traveled around. Yeah, no, that's ride. very cool. Good bus ride around New England. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I knew it. MIT had a program, and uh, I, 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 I looked at some programs like that. So that's awesome. They have a good, they have a good team. Oh, they did great a few years ago, but when I was there, not so great. Uh, okay. All right, but okay. back to the, back to the interview. Um, Tell us about meeting your wife. Is she from Austin? How, how did that happen? Yes, yeah, it's, it's uh, sort of a like a kind of a weird journey that we each took. So her dad is in the hotel business, still is today. And at one point when she was about, I guess, seven or eight or nine, she had a job as a GM at the Four Seasons here in town. And they lived literally a street over from my house when I was growing up and I didn't know who she was. I never met her, but I, I knew her sister. And then many years later, she, she was, I don't know, 20, I guess close to 30, uh, going to grad school at UT and our, my, her parents lived in Dallas in the same neighborhood as my brother, sister-in-law. They were friends. They fixed us up because I, I guess that's what, parents and siblings do. Um, and as soon as we met, it just clicked and it just, it's been, uh, uh, definitely a blessing uh, that God put her in my life. And I, um, I don't, I can't, I can't take any credit for it. She's amazing. I'm very I'm lucky. We've been married for, I guess, a little over six years at this point. Six years. Um, this is pretty rare in Austin to have two yeah, people, you said she was raised here in Austin or, or in the Dallas area? She was, she was here for a few years and then uh, her dad ended up running a hotel in Dallas and then they ended up spending most of her, her high school career there. But she, um, I, I think she's before she was in high school, I think she maybe lived in seven or eight different cities. So they moved around a little bit. That's still kind of a rare combination to two native Austin slash Texans yeah. in Austin in, in this day. Um, well, tell me Seriously. when you have a free day, you know, families out of town or, or occupied, um, you know, what's something you, you would do around Austin if you had no obligations and you were free. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, it's a little bit of groundhog day over here because we have a, a four year old boy and a two and a half year old boy. So, we wake up early. So I would still have to wake up early because that's how my internal clock is. I'd go out, I would run town light smoothie and Jamba juice. Um, and then I'd probably go find some friends to maybe go out into the lake or get into nature somewhere, maybe go fishing or get out into, get out into somebody's ranch. Uh, that's about my perfect day. It's just being outside all day long and doing something. Oh, I love it. 
Um, do you have favorite fishing spot? I'm not a fisher, but maybe we have a few listeners who, who have favorite spots around Austin. Around Austin for sure. Yeah. So, uh, Rosebud trail, it's pretty good actually. And then it's, I mean, it's fun to go up to Lano. I, I like to go to Lano. There's places near, uh, on the Lano river near Castell. That's really cool. Um, and then we have a spot near Pernalo state park on Lake Travis that we'll go out. And, uh, it's actually pretty good, pretty good fishing on Lake Travis and Lake Austin. Yeah. I, if I knew more about fishing, I would ask you about your best, you know, your best catch. But uh, <laughs> if, if you feel like you, you want to throw something out there, go for it. <laughs> I'm not good. It's just, it's, yeah. no, it's, 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 uh, I'm, I'm not good at any out- outdoor activities. It's just that yeah, aspect of doing it is, is what I love. So you give me any excuse, I'll go do it. I, I love hiking. I love mountain biking. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, some of the green belt spaces are pretty great. All right. Well, uh, how about something, well, you know, I was going to ask you about something, you know, amusing or surprising that people don't know, but I think college athlete might've already hit that. Uh, yeah. But anything else you think, you know, a lot of people might not know about you might be fun to know. Uh, yeah, I mean, my, speaking of sports, my, my absolute favorite do uh if i could go out and do anything right now is i uh, go play rugby and i really hope that my boys love rugby as much as i did rugby in high school with an area team and then i played after college here in austin and i just think it's such a fun way to connect internationals you can go all over the world playing it and i don't know it's just a it, it, it's just such a like a fun team oriented like rough but like a uh, competitive game that, that really anybody could play. So, um, my, what I aspire to be is a, a rugby coach. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. A, a rugby coach at the, uh, the junior level for, oh, for just okay. kids growing up. That's, that's what I want to do. I think the most surprising thing about that to me is that there was a rugby team anywhere in the state of Texas, uh, several decades ago. <laughs> yeah it totally was yeah i think we were the goat herders in the whole yeah yeah we were we were the backwoods of the rugby yeah yeah um let's pivot to your work you own a hospice service uh you you started to say a little bit about getting involved in that but um you know especially coming from tech you know i've known a lot of people in tech and i don't think i've known anybody who's gone from web design to hospice. So, you know, kind of tell us, you know, what that story, what that story looks like. You know, some people are comfort, just comfortable with different things. Like you're a programmer, you're good at computers and, um, and some people are really good at caring for within healthcare with caring for children or, or specific areas that are drawn towards. And I've just always been, like I said, I've always been drawn towards the elderly and caring for them. And end of life is when somebody is most vulnerable. And I think where you can make the biggest impact in terms of being involved in their and supporting them through a really difficult time. Um, and you're dealing with the, the frailest and the weakest. Um, so certainly you don't want anything bad to happen to them. As far as you know, my journey, I, like I said, I, I'd gotten into healthcare pretty soon after college. 
um, had worked with a, a great company that I got to for nine years, I got to do all sorts of different things with them everywhere from politics and government relations to acquisitions, to, to running some of the divisions, um, and just had a broad exposure to it. And then we sold and I ended up working for companies that were owned either publicly or through private equity. And it was a great experience, I think from a business standpoint, and, and there was a lot of great leadership that happened at those places, but, um, ultimately what I found was it, it wasn't mission driven and purpose driven the way that I would want to care for somebody that I loved. Um, it was very bottom line and, and, um, transactional in nature. And I think sometimes it's, you lose the forest for the trees when you're talking about business and, and these vulnerable populations, I think there's a way to blend both. Um, and that's what I've been trying to do. So, um, I had a beautiful experience with hospice early when I was about 21 with my, my brother was engaged. His, um, the, his bride-to-be's mom had been dealing with breast cancer for a very long time. And this wedding was going to be a huge celebration of life. And it was going to be this joyous occasion where she heard, she saw her final wish be fulfilled of seeing her daughter get married. Um, it just didn't happen that way. She went downhill faster and we ended up having this ceremony in the mom's bedroom on a beautiful Saturday afternoon with just the family's present. It was really special. It was probably one of the most meaningful moments of my life. And it taught me a lot about what this is, what marriage is about. This is what family is about. And, um, and she died shortly thereafter, um, at peace. And I, and I just, I was still young. I didn't have any intuition. This is what I want to do a long time, but hospice enabled that very beautiful moment. And I just really appreciated that. And as I got into further and further into caring for the elderly and disabled and people with advanced illnesses, um, I felt a real calling to develop this community type organization that cared for people who were coping uh, with this space of life where you're not necessarily chronic illness, you're not going to get better, right? So how do you deal with that? How do you support families through that? Um, how do you bring the community together around behind them? And um, that's what I'm trying to do with Sondra Hospice and and just value each person that we interact with and, and build real relationships and, and do it with the intention of changing quality of life and how families can feel like they've got everything they need and the resource they need and, and trust that they're going to be okay um, when somebody's going to decline and ultimately have what we refer to as an, um, an, an end well experience and then um, be supported after that. So I'm, I'm really passionate about it and I feel like it's, it's an interesting space. It's, again, it's not for everybody and it, it is hard, um, but there's real beauty in it. And it's an honor to be able to go into somebody's home and get to know them in that way and, and hear those stories and, and make a difference. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's a beautiful background story. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's such, such a big need. Uh, I've seen, you know, people go through sort of the regular medical system and it's not, um, you know, it, it has, it has a lot of things that could use improvements. And so it's great to see people like you getting involved and, you know, really bringing a mission to that. 
to in, in improve these experiences. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah. I mean, I think I think for me, it's I'm kind of a young guy to be doing this at this stage, and um, but what I really hope is our population is aging very quickly. So when it when it starts to there's a real pressure on our health system and all the resources will be in about 10 years. And I think by that point, we'll have really hit our stride and be, um, be hopefully a big part of that solution. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. Um, someone shared the book being mortal with me, uh, a few months ago, yeah. which, um, which I think, you know, brings a lot of attention to this issue and, uh, the person who shared it with me is a doctor who, um, you know, found it really useful in thinking about her own uh, interactions with patients. And I'm curious, you know, is did that book have any influence on you, or have you noticed, you know, in, anything come about related to it or its publication? Oh my gosh, I, I think you planted that question. <laughs> it, it's it's truly an inspiration of mine. I think. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I read that. It's funny. Uh, I read that and it just, I don't know. It just moved me. It just changed how I thought about everything. Um, and until Gwanda says in it, and it's like, this is one part in particular, he says like, I want to get into the nitty gritty of life. I want to understand what's happening and take the time to know that person. That's yeah, that's, that's that is like one of the reasons why I did this. That's awesome that you, you read that. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm glad to hear, you know, I'm glad to hear all these things tying together nicely. Um, yes, absolutely. This sort of year long period we've, we've been in with, you know, lockdowns and, um, and disease. Has that sort of changed your day-to-day -day life, your business, um, you know, some people have, I've heard have really felt like I'm an introvert. This has been nice to have some quiet time. Others have faced a lot of sort of stresses from, you know, health, business, personal. Um, how, how has this experience been for you and specifically for the hospice business? Yeah. Yeah. I'll kind of break that question up I, from, uh, from a development standpoint, uh, and from what, what our, our purpose is, is trying to get people to be able to stay in their home, um, and realize that that's an alternative and they can get all the care they need. Um, people don't want to go to an institution as much as they, they might have for a lot of their care. Um, and they're realizing that there's this alternative path, um, that's, that's, you know, that's, uh, fulfills all their needs and, and wishes. And can do a lot more for them. So, um, from a public perspective, I think it's been very positive for the for hospice and for us. On the flip side, on the there's a real there's a real toll. I think the not being able to touch people. You know, I I think human touch is like the new luxury. You know, it's like if if you can't connect with somebody person to person, if you can't feel them, if you can't hug them, if you can't be with them and and look at them in the eye. Um, you're just not getting as much. And that's true for our people, our staff, our clinicians, as nurses, um, as it is for our, our patients and our families. Um, they want to be together, they need together. And 
um, having that be somewhat limited and also you know, taking all the precautions in place um, is really is is really difficult. Um, on the flip side, you know how we've adapted to that is we certainly do a heck of a lot more telemedicine, which I love. I think you know you can get a doctor on the phone in five minutes. That's awesome. Um, we're touching our patients with our different team members. We have social workers and chaplains more frequently um, and probably being more creative than we would have otherwise. And I think, um, you know, as we get back into being person to person, we take all these lessons learned, all these strengths we've developed, uh, we'll be that much better off. So I, I'm kind of a glass half full guy anyway, but um, I, I think overall it's, it's been a, a good learning curve for us and something that um, I'm, I feel like it's easier for us because we got into it without having infrastructure, without being used to doing it another way. This is like, this is our, this is just how to figure out how to do things as a, as a sort of a newish company. Um, so it hasn't hindered us at all. And anything it's, it's going to give us an advantage in the long run. Right. You have, you have that entrepreneurial spirit and advantage. That's great. <laughs> um, Maybe so. Touching as the new luxury. I think that might be the, the, the takeaway, my takeaway concept, uh, concept from this conversation. And now that we're running up against the time, um, I think that's, that's just a great way to end it, to think about that. Give, give a hug to, to your family members tonight everyone out there um yeah. this has been a great conversation uh sorry to see this end for now but lloyd wilson thank you for for sharing yeah. all this story and insight today that was jeff brown interviewing lloyd wilson thanks for listening to the podcast hope you enjoyed this one and if you want to be part of this podcast as an interviewer or an interviewee or maybe you just want to help with the ministry of creating the podcast itself please email us at graceandpeoplepodcasts at gmail.com or come and talk to myself or Joey Perez if you see us at church. Today's podcast was produced by Joey Perez and myself. Thanks again for listening. Hope to see you next time. Take care.